Well, good morning, church. For those of you who are visiting with us today, my name is Joel Wells. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and it's just so good to have you with us today. As you all know, we're in that time of year when Easter is approaching on our calendars, and this is, of course, a significant time of the year for every Christian. The cross is the focal point of our faith. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no salvation, and there is no eternal life in heaven. Jesus came to this earth to free us from our sins and to restore our relationship with God, but he also came to show us a new way for us to live. Before the cross, mankind was bound up in sin, controlled by his sin nature, and there was no way to be free from it. We were ruled by the enemy of our souls. His control and his influence were leading to destruction and pain. In fact, Jesus said that the intent of the devil is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came to deliver us from the grip of Satan. And when we receive his salvation, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And we receive in that moment a new source of influence. We receive a new source of power that leads us into life and freedom. It's why Jesus would declare in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so in Christ, we discover that there is actually a new way to live. In fact, when you read your scriptures, you'll discover that the first Christians were actually referred to as followers of the way. When Christ came, he came to establish his kingdom. And with his kingdom, there is a whole new set of principles, attitudes, and priorities that we are to live with and live by as ones who've been redeemed. Jesus modeled them for us and he urged us to seek first his kingdom over everything else. The kingdom of heaven has a culture and it's completely opposite to the customs and the patterns of this world. It's in direct conflict with a culture driven by sin and influenced by the powers of darkness. In a sense, you could say it was the cross that established this new culture. The cross was a place of exchange. It was there where we exchanged our broken body of sin and were reborn by receiving the righteousness of Christ and his new nature empowered by the Holy Spirit. As we grow in our knowledge of God, and as we continually surrender our lives to Jesus more and more, we begin to see a change that begins to take place in our lives as a result. Things we once held dear, they don't matter to us the same anymore. Things we once did without remorse, now suddenly grieve us. Our language changes, our lifestyle changes, our attitudes and our actions change. In fact, if there is not change, then we must ask ourselves if we have indeed truly surrendered our life to Christ. You know, I was talking with a man in our church recently who has come to know Jesus just in this past year. 
And God's doing an amazing work in his life. And we were just chatting before the service here a couple weeks ago. And he was commenting to me that uh, he had recently had some Facebook memories, you know, from from uh, about a year ago that popped up in, in, in his memories. And, and uh, these were things that he had posted on Facebook before he was a Christian. And as they came up in his memories and he read them, he said, I was shocked by what I said. I was shocked by even the rudeness of the tone of my voice in those posts. I didn't think I was rude when I posted it. And all of a sudden I saw it and was horrified by the things that I had said. He said, I didn't realize how much I had changed until I saw what I had written just even a year ago. I know that when I personally surrendered my life to Christ at 19 years of age, Suddenly there was a desire in my life to have nothing to do with uh, things that I wasn't so concerned about before. I, I distinctly remember that my conscience had a whole new level of sensitivity to it. I was convicted and grieved of things and saw the foolishness of things I hadn't seen previously. And suddenly I had this desire to live my life according to the way of Christ. I wanted to be changed into his image. I wanted my actions to reflect his. I wanted to live my life by the culture of the kingdom of heaven because I realized that's where true life and freedom is found. Last week, Jason, uh, I thought, had a powerful message as he kicked off this series that we are doing called Cross Culture. As we look to the cross and as we recognize it as the beginning of a new way of living, we want to ask ourselves these questions in the coming weeks. What is the culture of the kingdom of heaven? And most importantly, does my life reflect that culture? You know, culture is an interesting word. When we're talking about culture, we're talking about things like lifestyle, Society, values, customs, traditions, mannerisms, heritage. Culture is all about the way we live. Culture is about what we believe. And culture is all around us. Every home has a culture. Your home has a culture. Every church has a culture. Every city, every country... If you had a coffee at Tim Hortons this morning, you had a taste of Canadian culture. The culture you are in molds you in terms of the way you think, what you prefer, and what you value. And of course, this can be both good and bad. When I think of of the culture that I grew up in, work ethic, perseverance, integrity. These were part of the culture of the Wells home that I grew up in. We were very conservative in our values. Very competitive in our sports. And we always open our presents on Christmas Eve, not Christmas morning. Because Grandpa Mac decided that was the best time to do them. Impatience, neglecting rest, being a little too black and white and opinionated could perhaps be some of the more negative aspects of the Wells culture. You will always know where we stand 
But maybe sometimes we could deliver it a little more gently. The way I grew up has impacted me. Your culture shapes you. And so it often brings a rub when you encounter a different culture. That's why marriage is so fun. Because you have two different cultures coming together and trying to be one culture, a new culture. You know, Harvest City Church is very multicultural in terms of ethnicity. We have so many different nationalities represented here in church on a Sunday. It's part of our church culture. We love the nations at Harvest City Church. But you know, the differences of our ethnicities are very real, aren't they? And being a multicultural church has unique challenges. Because we see a lot of things differently just based on how we were raised and the culture we grew up in. Growing up in Nigeria or growing up in the Philippines is very different than growing up in Canada. And it's amazing how that impacts even what we value and appreciate and expect on a Sunday morning church service. Let me give you an example. I think we would all agree that generally speaking, the best dressed people in Harvest City Church are Africans. Is that not true? I think we know it's true. I, I mean, many of our African members come on a Sunday morning with suits and ties and brightly colored traditional clothing where the husband matches the wife and the wife's got this great hat on her head. And they're out there in the foyer taking pictures. And when I go home after church on Sunday and go on my Facebook, I see all our wonderful African brothers and sisters posing in their beautiful clothes outside of the church in the summertime anyways. And then you get some Canadian coming into church wearing ripped jeans and a hoodie. And I'm just talking about our worship leader. What a difference. You know, when I was about to be the lead pastor of Harvest City Church and, and the, uh, the big ordination day, the ceremony when the transition was going to happen was approaching, one of our lovely Nigerian ladies took Angela and I out for a shopping experience. And Angela went home that day with a really nice dress and I went home with a suit jacket, tie, new dress pants. This lady dropped hundreds of dollars on us because she wanted her pastor and her wife looking good. And I did look good that ordination Sunday. I looked very good, actually. But it's been getting worse ever since. You know, this Christmas Eve, I broke out a suit jacket, and many of you African people loved it. I know, because you told me. Now, why do our African members love to dress up so much on a Sunday? Well, I asked one of them recently. We got talking about the differences in culture and how much fun it is trying to be a multicultural church. 
I said, why, do you, why is this such a big deal? And this is what he said to me. He said, when you have an important business meeting, or if you are in the presence of a dignitary, or you go to a wedding, you dress in your best. Well, there is no one more important than God. And so when we are in his house on Sunday, and we come to meet with him, we dress for the occasion. Can all the Africans give me an amen? Ah, I knew you'd like that. It's a sign of respect, he says. It's a sign of worship and reverence. It's a sign of what we value. So what's wrong with us Canadians? Well, listen, before my African brothers and sisters get upset at us, let me give you some context. You see, there was something about Canadian church culture in the past that many people felt sent the wrong message to the world around them. If everyone was dressed all nice and shiny on a Sunday morning, it might send the message that you have to clean yourself up before you can come into the presence of God. The prodigal son came to the father smelling of the pig pen with no shoes on his feet and all his clothes were torn and our heavenly father loved him just the way that he was. He didn't have to put on a show to come into his presence. We just have to be real. And that's the way we want people to feel. God accepts you as you are. You can come dirty and broken and there is a place at the table for you. Can I get an amen? Amen. So many Canadian Christians have rejected fancy clothes for a come-as-you-are culture. That doesn't sound too bad either, does it? So who's right? And who's wrong? Whose culture's better? I think the truth is, is that there are good things and bad things about every culture. There are things that we can learn from each other. And sometimes being around a different culture begins to cause you to question some of your own. You notice I'm dressed a little nicer this morning. I did that for you, you Nigerian and Ghanan believers. Left the jeans in the drawer. Didn't quite go to the suit jacket, although I considered it. But when we're talking about cross-culture, we're talking about the culture of heaven. Personified in the life of Jesus, perhaps most clearly displayed in his death on the cross. His way of thinking and his actions introduced a culture that trumps all the others. And as believers, our concern is not about Canadian culture or African culture, but about kingdom culture. And that's what we're talking about. And today I want to focus on just one aspect of of kingdom culture that I think perhaps the rest is all built upon. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The greatest is the least. The one who has the heart of a servant is the one who reflects the heart of God the most. You know, in our recent series on money matters, I made the statement 
that we are perhaps never more like God than when we give. I think the greatest form of giving is when we give our lives in service. So maybe you could say we are never more like God than when we serve others. The idea of the servant being the greatest is just something that rubs us or sifts us, as Jason talked about. The word servant or slave, it just sort of provokes this uncomfortable reaction in us. We instinctively don't want to be controlled or ruled by anyone. We want to be the best. We want to be esteemed and and honored. We like power and we like position. That's our culture. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And so you do whatever you have to do to get ahead. You walk over who you need to walk over in order to get to the top. We're inherently selfish and stingy. The more power you have, the more money, the better you look. These are all things that our society idolizes. It's the rich and the famous that are on the cover of our magazines. But that's just the culture of the world, right? Not so in the church. We don't idolize those leaders who preach the best sermons and have the biggest churches, do we? We don't have celebrity preachers and leaders who care more about their image and social media followers than meeting the needs of the people, right? It's not an issue for us. Well, having a leader who is a humble servant was not something that the disciples were expecting. Jesus shows up and he's doing great miracles. And he's attracting crowds and he's calling his disciples to come to him. But there was a misunderstanding in them about the culture of the kingdom. They were seeing things through their culture filters. And so the calling to follow Jesus brought to them a sense of anticipation of power, of authority, of ruling If Jesus was the Messiah, he was going to show everyone who was the boss. He was going to drive out those Romans, establish his throne, and they were going to rule with him, they thought. They were bothered by distractions and by those who didn't treat them as they thought they they deserved. In Luke 9, for example, in verse 52, it says that Jesus sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. The disciples didn't like the fact that Jesus wasn't getting the VIP treatment. And so they were ready to toast those suckers. Let's put them in their place. Come on, Jesus. Now's the time to call down some fire. Get them. In Luke 18, verse 15, it said, One day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded those parents for bothering Jesus. And then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God 
belongs to those who are like these children. Not only was Jesus willing to touch the children and bless them, but he rebuked the disciples and he said, if you don't come as a child, if you don't come with that kind of humility, you'll never get the kingdom of God. He was showing humility, but also preaching humility as the way to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we see as we read the story of Jesus and his disciples that the disciples were always jockeying for position and asking about who would be the greatest. And another time Jesus uses a child to teach them. In Matthew 18 it says about that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a little child to him. And he puts the child right in front of them and he says to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What? You have to be as humble as a child to be the greatest? Another time, Jesus is walking with his disciples to Jerusalem. The time is getting close when, when Jesus is going to go to the cross. The disciples still have no idea what Jesus is really up to, even though he's been explaining it to them many times. And here, the Gospel of Mark records that in chapter 10, verse 32, that Jesus pulls his disciples to the side and begins to speak to them. He says, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and to the teachers of the religious law. And they will sentence him to die. They will hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog and whip him. And they will kill him. But after three days... He will rise again. Here we have Jesus. He's about to go to the cross and he pulls together his closest friends, his 12 disciples, and he pours his heart out. This is what awaits me, guys. And it seems that even in this moment where Jesus is, is pouring it all out to them, all they can think of is themselves. Because the next verse says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we would like you to do us a favor. I'm about to go to the cross and be whipped and beaten and mocked and spit on. You had that Jesus last night. Can you do us a favor? We would like a little favor. What's your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Maybe I'll be on your right. John, you can be on the left. And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you guys are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able! Exclamation point. They're not getting it. 
And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. These guys were about to be shocked about what following Jesus was going to look like. There was going to be a baptism of suffering. But at this present moment, it's all going over their heads. Well, then the other ten disciples, they get word that Peter and John have sort of pulled Jesus to the side and asked for a special place, special thrones next to him, and they're ticked. It says they were indignant. Why? Because they wanted those spots. And Jesus calls them all together in that moment. And he says this to them. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under him. In other words, he's saying to his disciples, this is the leadership culture of the world that you live in. But then he introduces them to cross culture, kingdom culture. And he says, but among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Think about that. The slave of everyone. For even the Son of Man, even the Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his very life as a ransom for for many. He said, even me, the Son of God, I've come to give my life for everyone. I came to serve. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he sits down with his disciples for a final meal together. And we're told in the Gospel of John, at the same time as they go to sit down, he takes off his robe And he grabs a towel and a basin. And he goes around and gets down on his knees and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. This was the lowest of the low. This is what the servants and the slaves did. And when Peter sees Jesus getting down on his knees, this, his master, his, his ruler, his leader, he says, no, you can't wash my feet. This is beneath you. You can't do this. He's horrified. John 13 says in verse 12 that after washing their feet, Jesus puts his robe back on again. He sits down and he poses this question. Do you guys understand what I'm doing here? Do you you see what I'm teaching you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you.
Jesus is continuing to establish the culture of the kingdom. The way up is down. But as the night continues, the message clearly isn't getting through. Luke's account tells the story that as they continue on with the supper, Jesus looks around at the twelve and he says, you know what, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And then this debate starts among the twelve. It says in Luke twenty two twenty three, the disciples begin to ask each other, who would ever do such a thing? Would you do, are, are you going to do, are you the one? Would you, I would never do this. Oh, it's not me. And they begin to argue among themselves. And then it spills into who would be the greatest among them. I wouldn't do this. I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. They're not getting it. And Jesus basically reiterates this same message. He says to them, guys, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over the people. Yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here, he says, exclamation point. But not here. I know in your culture, in your customs, the one who sits at the table is the most important. But not in the culture of the kingdom. Not here. Not in this place. For I am among you as one who serves. Some of the last instructions Jesus gave his disciples before the cross was all to do with laying the groundwork for the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Just a few hours later, Jesus would allow himself to be captured, to be falsely accused, to be beaten, and to be mocked. He would lay his own life down. It was his own choice. Scriptures tell us he could have called for a legion of angels. He didn't die because he had no choice. He made the choice. To lay his life down. So that you and I could experience redemption. And experience forgiveness. He gave his life. To serve you and me. Later, the disciples, they would get it. They would come to understand why Jesus had come. They would come to understand that the great love of God for humanity drove him to lay his life down. They would come to understand that a redeemed heart has died to self has died to the things of this world. The Spirit of God within us is one that leads us to value those around us even above our own lives. As the love of God fills us, the change that takes place inside us is that we begin to take joy when we can lift others up. That's the greatest joy. 
to be a promoter and a lifter of others. By giving his life for us, God elevated us. He took us out of the miry pit and he set our feet upon a rock. He was the one who took that prodigal son dirty and stinky and he elevated him to a position of honor. That's what Jesus did and that's what he calls us to do. In fact, it's our greatest form of worship. He says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to me. The Apostle Paul, he was one who caught this heart. As he encountered Christ, his arrogance and pride were stripped away. And he became one who constantly referred to himself with this language. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. He gave his own life, we know, in service to others. And one day, while he's in a Philippian jail cell, he speaks these powerful words to his fellow believers in Philippi. He says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another and work together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish, guys. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't just look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Notice verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. In obedience to God, he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul said to those Philippians, you must have this same attitude as followers of Christ. Those are strong words. In a couple weeks, I'm going to dive a little deeper into why the greatest is the servant and talk a little bit more practically about how that looks in our day-to-day lives. But today, as I close this message, I want us to just examine our hearts in the presence of God. I want to ask you this question. Paul said you must have this attitude. 
Jesus said, it will not be this way with you. What attitude do you have this morning? Do you have the attitude of Christ? Here's a challenging thought. What would your kids say if you asked them? What would your spouse say? What about your employees? What about your boss? What would your friends say? What would people in your church say? You know, this is something that the Lord has really been challenging me on the last six months. You've heard my story to do with how I got involved with Terrell Smith and this whole thing and come together. And what was the biggest thing that God wanted to do in my heart? Joel, will you serve this woman? Yeah, but when I go to Africa and I have my own ministries, my posters are everywhere and they throw parades and I wave out of the vehicles. Yeah, but would you serve this woman? Would you help her be successful? Would you serve her with no strings attached? It's been something God's been doing in my own heart. Can I rejoice when somebody else is successful and help them be successful. I have to say, it's been some hard work going on. There's more self in me than I wish. It's got to die. But something exciting is happening. I'm finding, oh, you know what? There's some joy in seeing other people be successful seeing the name of Jesus being lifted up isn't it isn't that the name we want exalted the name that's above every other name church what would happen if Harvest City became a church of slaves to Jesus Christ oh I would love it that the message on the streets of Regina, yeah, we've heard of Harvest City. They just serve this city. They serve, they serve, they serve. Sunday school teachers, you're never more like Jesus than when you forfeit being a part of a worship service that you kind of want to be in because you see that the kingdom of God belongs to little children. You're never more like Jesus than when you come early, worship team, when you could be sleeping, when the rest of us are having our coffees and you've already been up for two hours. You're never more like Jesus than when you do that. You guys that are putting this on the online right now and nobody knows who's in that production room, I tell you who knows, Jesus knows. He sees. Maybe you're more like Jesus than Joel is this morning. I'm in the spotlight. You're hidden. But I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. Those who are hidden are seen. Church, can we be ones who serve?
Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? We're going to end today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way into the kingdom of God is to humble yourself. You know, there are many people that think, oh, you know, when I die, I'll be okay. I'm a good person. I'm going to stand before God and tell Him how great I am. Tell you, when you stand in the presence of a holy God, there will be no boasting. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. If Jesus hadn't come, we would be lost forever. But when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven and for our relationship with God to be restored. On that cross, he took your sins and he took my sins and he died as a criminal even though he lived a perfect life. He died covered in your sin and my sin. And there on the cross, the creator of the universe, the son of God, allowed us to have a great exchange. He take our sin and give us his righteousness. And you can receive that righteousness by humbling yourself. The Bible says that if you will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this morning, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession, a prayer of belief, confessing that we need God and placing our trust in what Jesus has done. And if you will join me in that prayer of confession, in that prayer of belief, something powerful is going to happen. You're going to cross over from death to life, from darkness into light, from hell into heaven. It happens that simply. And so would you all just bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes as we pray. And I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you know that you need Jesus and you know that you need me to include you in this prayer, I'm going to pray. Would you just slip up your hand where I can see it this morning? Thank you. We've got hands raised here today. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. As I pray this prayer... In your own heart, just say, God, that's me. I'm, I'm agreeing with the preacher. That's my prayer to you today. Jesus, I come before you today recognizing that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I'm lustful. I got all these things inside of me. God, I want to have eternal life. I want to experience the kingdom of heaven. I want to be freed from the chains of my sin. And so I come to you today and confess I need you. I humble myself at the foot of your cross. And I come to make the exchange. Here's my sin, Lord Jesus. I confess it. And by faith, I take your righteousness. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. I confess that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And today I choose to follow you. Today I choose to live according to the way of Christ by the culture of the kingdom of heaven.
Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you empower me? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, as you're leaving today, if you would stop by the window, if you have the courage to say, I prayed that prayer with the preacher. We have a little New Testament that we want to give you, a little Bible. It's got a little now what booklet inside, uh, just as sort of our gift to you to help you in this new journey with Christ. Church, be blessed. Let's go and serve one another and serve our city in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together. We hope that you found insight and had moments that spoke to you right where you needed it. Before you go, share the love and post this inspiring video to your page. Who knows how many lives could be impacted by it. And if you aren't already, like, follow, and turn on your social media notifications to keep up to date on all the exciting things happening at our church. Here at Harvest City, we're all about connecting with our community and celebrating those big moments. Like if you've recently decided to fully dedicate your life to Jesus, we'll be your cheerleaders and help you take those first steps. And if you're going through a tough season, let us know how we can help you. Plus, we've got tons of programs for kids, youth, and adults if you're looking for a new community to be part of. To send us a message or check out more about HCC, head over to our website, harvestcity.ca. To all of our financial partners, thank you for investing into the kingdom of God. Your generosity allows us to keep doing what we're called to do and reach even more people. If you're interested in contributing, please visit harvestcity.ca slash giving for more info. Thanks for being here. Keep living your call and we'll catch you again soon.